Welcome to another episode of Soapbox on 2XX FM and Sin Nation Nationwide. And this week we may also be playing this interview on Sovereign. You might be listening to the Indigenous program on 2XX FM. So this week, the reason why um, we might be on all three of those and not just two is because I've got Tamika Townsend in the studio. She's a spokesperson from Reconciliation Australia. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Lee. It's a real pleasure to be here today. Thank you for coming in. And Tamika, what gets you on your soapbox? Uh, really anything to do with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander affairs. I definitely get on my soapbox. Um, most recently, I think it's been justice reinvestment has been a pretty hot topic. So yeah, really anything to do with my mob and my people. And yeah, yeah, I'm pretty politically engaged. Yeah, and you are a young, proud, passionate Indigenous woman. Yes, I am. <laughs> um, so you, uh, we were explaining, you were explaining to me off air um, all the different nations that are associated with the area of the South Coast that you're from. Where would you say you identify as being from? Uh, I'm a Derangange Nagarigo woman. So I'm from, grew up in Bega and I got mob all along the southeast coast there. I come from a pretty big family uh, and I'm also a Nagarigo woman, which is uh, the Snowy Mountains. Uh, yeah, it's part of the Yuan Nation. There's 12 different groups uh, that actually make up the Yuan Nation. So I identify with my grandmother's side as you do uh, in Aboriginal culture. So that's Derangange and, and Nagarigo. Obviously, uh, you brought up knowing that you're an Indigenous person yep. and knowing that that means that there's some differences and some and some extra things that you think about in daily life. Was, was um, Indigenous rights always at the forefront of your mind during your upbringing or was there a time when you got a bit older that you became really interested in Indigenous rights? Mm, it was definitely a seed that was planted in me from a very early age. I think I really noticed some of the social aspects of what what it was like to be an Aboriginal person, uh, but I won't delve too far into that. Um, I, I come from a family of pretty strong activists. Like my grandmother was obviously she she was part of the Stolen Generations, and I guess I really could see. Uh, the effects of sort of things like that in in my community and and in my mob, most I guess most of my elders were affected by the stolen generations, and I sort of grew up hearing hearing those stories. Like my grandmother Margaret Rose Dixon, she, her sister was taken uh, as a young girl, and uh, their parents were hard workers, uh, and and there was you know. It, they weren't neglected children or anything like that. They were strong and healthy. Uh, and Arnie Beryl, her name was, and and I guess one of the effects of the Stolen Generations was that, uh, and, and they talk about it in the Bringing Them Home report, it was that some people never came home because it was sort of the trauma of it all was too painful and and they felt really disconnected from it. So what happened was when my grandmother... My grandmother didn't see her sister again and when, when she did go up to Yass, where she is now, my auntie Beryl, there was no connection there and, and they weren't able to sort of talk at that time. 
Yeah, so I definitely noticed a lot of different issues, not only that, uh, but that's just one example of sort of the things that that I, I noticed as a young person. Yeah, and, and the stolen generation or generations, because there's several stolen generations, I mean, it doesn't just affect that generation that was stolen. I guess you've seen as a, as a young Indigenous person the effect of carrying on onto other generations. Yeah, definitely. The intergenerational trauma uh, is, you know, it's definitely, you definitely see it in communities. Like one of the effects of that's also in the stole, in the bringing them home report is that uh, people who were taken were never really shown the nurturing love of parents. So that was unable to sort of be passed on to their children. And, and so the cycle begins, I guess. Uh, and I think that with when you're talking about stolen generations, a lot of people uh, think of it as hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but it's actually something that's very alive today. And there, as long as there's people still living with the pain of that, uh, it's it's not our history. It's it's still the present. Yeah, for sure. And and you're right. Like it's it's kind of phrased. I think is is something that happened in the deep past and something that's distant um but it's more recent than than people realize and definitely very recent when you think of the the years of indigenous history before before the stolen generation how much um did you find that your learning about indigenous history came through um through storytelling from your family do you feel like uh the connection to indigenous culture is something that you've actually seen tested Definitely a lot of my knowledge is from my family and hearing stories from them. But I think that when I really started to engage with it was when I started doing Indigenous studies and also when I, when in history lessons, I remember in school it not really resonating with me. Uh, the I guess one of the things that we need for reconciliation is to in a way, we need to rewrite our history books, and uh, and I think I really noticed that it was a bit different to what to what I knew as the history of Australia when when I would hear about sort of, you know, settlement and and but the stories that I had heard were a lot different to that of spear fights in the main street of Bega. So, I think I really started to notice in high school. I really noticed uh, racism in high school, and I really started to ask questions uh about my family and and that's when I sort of started hearing about you know that it was only when they were young that they were sitting at the back of a bus or uh you know just things like that 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 I really did notice yeah and and that's obviously led you here to to work um for Reconciliation Australia yeah what does Reconciliation Australia do uh, Reconciliation Australia is the peak body uh, for reconciliation and we're a not-for-profit organisation and we're actually in our 25th year. Uh, it's the 25th year of formal reconciliation in Australia this year. Uh, we do we do a lot. We I guess we really want to inspire and enable all Australians to contribute to uh, reconciliation and our vision is for a just and equitable Australia. So we do that through schools, uh, workplaces. Uh, we also run National Reconciliation Week, which is coming up in May, uh, from the 27th of May till the 3rd of June. Uh, and 
yeah, I think it's a really great organisation that, that is doing really good work all around the country. You were mentioning, obviously, your your personal background and, and learning about what work needs to be done for reconciliation in Australia from a personal perspective um, to now. Now your, your focus in your work um, is on self-determination. So could you explain what self-determination means and what it means to Indigenous people? Self-determination is Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people making decisions for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in a nutshell. Uh, I think that the program that I'm working on at the moment, the Indigenous Governance Awards, has really highlighted that to me the need for self-determination in our communities. And we really see that through the Indigenous Governance Awards. And Indigenous Governance is... Uh, for those who haven't heard of it before, it's it's the fact that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, they, we live under two forms of governance, our own and that of non-Indigenous Australia. And there are some really major issues that are affecting our people. And we know that when, and the IGAs really showcase it, the Indigenous Governance Awards, that when Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities are empowered, it leads to overall better outcomes. And Indigenous governance really does, it's, it means self-determination. It's highlighting the resilience of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in making their own decisions for their own communities. And what does it look like or what does it, uh, what does it result in when Indigenous people are not able to make their own decisions for Indigenous people and when they're, when they're not able to have control over, over those <laughs> sorts of governance decisions? There are over 500 different language groups in Australia. So there's really no size, one size fits all solution when it comes to addressing uh, the major issues that are in communities. So I think the power of it is that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people understand the needs of their communities. And what we see uh, is, I can give you an example of a 2014 Indigenous Governance Awards finalists, uh, Giringan Aboriginal Corporation, they're an example of how effective Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organisations are when they're practising self, uh, self-determination. self I mean, Girigan cares for over one million hectares of land and sea on behalf of nine traditional owner groups in North Queensland. So that's a lot of different perspectives that are coming in uh, and, and really diverse tribal groups in that area. Uh, and, and they really work to ensure the promotion uh, and preservation of Aboriginal culture and, and they're working to improve the general health and well-being of communities and in the region. So, yeah, we do see um, not so good outcomes when when it's when it's not Aboriginal control, but we also see some really great outcomes. I mean, there's some really great... I wouldn't just want to discredit that work of where... What we see is when people are working together and working with Indigenous people on the ground... Uh, is better overall outcomes. Um, and yeah, I think that it's really important to work together, but to also have uh, those organisations like Yurigan on the ground finding the solutions and being actively involved uh, in in finding solutions to the problems. And you mentioned Girigan. What other um, examples can you give of 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 um, past award winners uh, where where self-determination has really led to some, some great outcomes for Indigenous communities? We've had pa- amazing past winners from all over the country. Uh, during the 2014 uh, Indigenous Governance Awards, um, 
some of the listeners might have heard of the Australian Indigenous Mentoring Experience. Uh, and they really show how they are supporting young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students throughout their high schooling years, which is so important when uh, when Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are actually more likely to end up in prison than to uh, finish their finish their Year Twelve certificate. So, AIM uh, began in two thousand and five with only twenty five mentors and twenty five mentees, and they're now the largest education support service for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander high school students in Australia. Uh, and this is about instilling confidence and, and, and that's really how AIM drives results. Uh, what they've seen is from this foundation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids in the AIM program is really remarkable progress. I mean, 94.8% progress through year 10 to 11 uh, and that's actually higher than in Australia's non-Indigenous rate, which is 94.7%. So what we what we see in these organisations is really, really amazing results and they really are driving change around uh, not only education but in, in health outcomes um, where Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are 10 to 17, uh, there's a 10 to 17 year life expectancy gap. So yeah, what... Yeah, we see really great outcomes, and I think AIM is definitely a really great example of that. Yeah, and I I know that AIM's really taken off. You're right; it's one of those ones that you recognise mm. now the the AIM logo and and everything. And and was AIM um, being fundraised for by Triple J recently? Yeah, yeah, they do. They do a lot of work with our Triple J and and. And a lot of different organisations, I think, and and that's what we see with the Indigenous Governance Awards as well. Is really amazing collaboration happening. I can give another. You've just reminded me of the uh, Maruk project, and I guess this is more around the the social side of things. Is they maintain culture uh, through performing arts in Swan Hill in Victoria, uh, and they actually brought the whole community together of Swan Hill, both Aboriginal and, and non-Aboriginal, uh, in, in a showcase of culture. And I think that that's really important as well because uh, this is our shared history. Uh, we've got, we can be so proud because we live on a land which is the home of the oldest continuing cultures uh, in, in the world. So that's something that we can all really be proud of. Yeah, you're right. And um, that whole cultural aspect of performing arts and mm. arts in general, I imagine, is a big part of, of continuing Indigenous culture. Soapbox is proudly supported by YWCA Canberra. Tweet us at Soapbox Podcast. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash soapboxpodcast or download your favourite episodes from our website, www.soapboxpodcast.com. As, as far as reconciliation Australia goes, how do you um, how do you kind of balance um, enabling people to preserve their culture and and enabling people to reconnect with with indigenous culture if they've lost that connect, and also um, other themes of integration and of dealing with this. Um, this outside governance because you mentioned how um, indigenous communities are always kind of underneath um, the the federal governance I guess as well as indigenous community governance. Mm. Well at Reconciliation Australia we work all of our programs work through a framework of relationships respect and opportunities 
um, when it comes to engaging with uh, culture, it, it's we really encourage cultural awareness training uh, in organisations, and and I don't think culture's you know lost. I think that uh, the, common it's very common to have the perception that you know um culture can only be seen over in you know northern territory across the other side of the country but uh there's narrow narrow dreaming tours just down on the south coast there that are that are preserving aboriginal and aboriginal culture down there and and it's definitely not gone and there's a lot of amazing people that are working to preserve that i guess the southeast coast i feel pretty passionately about because we Obviously, uh, we were hit first with with you know genocide and and sort of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people weren't able to speak language or practice cultures um, uh, in the past. So so I think that it has been affected in that way. But people are working to maintain it uh, and bring back the language. And I think that there are pathways for non-Indigenous Australians to be learning uh, about the culture of, of wherever they live uh, and also, you know, the history of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australia as well. Is one of the, you mentioned learning about the culture of where you live. I remember the little bit of Indigenous education I got in high school. It, it was very broad. It was mm. very, you know, you find out later in life or I did about how many different nations there actually were or still are in Australia. Yeah. But it's it's seems to me like everything was very generalized. Like mm. these are the these are the tools, these are the this is the artwork, but it but it's more complex than that. Is that one of the things that you think would be useful moving forward if there was um more of that location based education since there is such a tie between land and culture? Yeah, definitely. I think it's really important to engage uh, in with the community that you're living in and learn from the local elders and and local traditional owners about because it, it's actually pretty amazing to find out somewhere that you've been living was actually where a ceremonial ground uh, was held all those years ago. So I think it's really important, like down the south coast at the moment in Eden, they're uh, bringing back the Bundian Way, which is where the people on the south coast, Aboriginal people, would travel for a Bogon Moth Festival just just outside of Canberra in Namadji. So, and my people, the Nagarigo people, were uh, that was sort of our thing that uh, it was really a delicacy for us, the Bogon Moth. So, they're bringing back that dreaming trail. So, there's so, so much going on, and you know, definitely, it's I think it's really great to engage with the community, and I think that that's a huge part of reconciliation because culture means so much to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and it's a big part of uh, having better relationships, which is really important as well. Yeah, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to 2XXFM and Sin Nation Nationwide and you're listening to Soapbox with Lee Constable. I've got Tamika Townsend on in the studio from Reconciliation Australia uh, Tamika's been talking about self-governance, self-determination and recognising that within the Indigenous communities across Australia and Torres Strait Island communities through the Indigenous Governance Awards. Uh, so we were talking about um, culture, place, uh, self-determination, all these things. Um, 
and obviously there's been a huge shift in the last 200 years for Indigenous people um, and within that time, even within within um, non-Indigenous culture of, of mm. making mistakes, of, of genocide, as you mentioned, of now still dealing with racism um, across Australia. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges in terms of um, misunderstandings and racism in Australia today? I think there's a lot of a, a lot of different challenges for us, but I think that you know we've got to sort of look forward as well. I think that there's really there really is a lot of goodwill out there. Like three three or four Australians really want to do more for reconciliation. Uh, that's you know seventy six percent of the country. So I don't think it's all negative. There's a, so much great work that's going on out there in communities. Uh, so I think it's really important to be optimistic as well. Uh, but yeah, it's it's important to acknowledge things that have happened, uh, but it's also important to keep moving forward. And, and I think that that's a really big message. Uh, we want to send out Reconciliation Australia that, uh, that, you know, there is a way forward and, and we want to enable Australians to be able to contribute to reconciliation. And there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. And I think that uh, state we, we released a report uh, earlier this year in February and that report really paves a way forward. It really brings together, you know, both it both the good and the bad. It shows all of the uh, steps that we have taken with, you know, the apology and, and the referendum. Uh, it just brings it all together. So I definitely encourage any listeners to go online and, and look at the State of Reconciliation report and uh, I think that that's really important. It does justice to both uh, Australia and and the steps that we have taken, and also it does justice justice to the voices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australia. Uh, it, in short, it goes it's it's five dimensions. Uh, the report goes through race relations as a really important aspect. So that's that all Australians understand and value. Uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and non-Indigenous cultures, uh, rights and experiences, which results really in stronger relationships, which is, as I've mentioned, a really important aspect. Uh, And then we also have unity, equality and equity, institutional integrity, uh, which is obviously uh, integrity within Australian institutions, and that's throughout media uh, government, uh, whatever it may be, our schools, organisations. But I guess the big one for me is historical acceptance and that's what we've been uh, covering off on today earlier in the program with uh, Stolen Generations. It's, yeah, I think being engaged in this, in, in what's happening and, and how we're progressing is important as well. And I think it's what's in the State of Reconciliation report uh, really does outline the past, uh, the present and the future. Yeah, and it's really great to to be able to talk about Indigenous rights in such a, a, a positive way moving forward and and talking about, you know, as you said, historical acceptance but also being positive about the change that can be made mm. um, for the future. Mm. So you're obviously still very young and and you're obviously passionate about this. How, how important 
is it to you? I mean, you're referring to these reports left, right and centre. You're obviously really engaged in in the political side of reconciliation and also in the social side. Mm-hmm. Um, so how Im- important has it been to you, to you to be able to actually make a difference personally? I think it's, yeah, it means everything to me personally to be able to contribute in any way I can. I think, and not only, you know, with my work at Reconciliation Australia, but in everyday conversations with friends, uh, all of those sort of things uh, outside of work too. I think it's important to take those opportunities as well. But yeah, I, as a young person, I feel very obligated to my people and my community. And I think that if you're a black follower with a voice, then then you should be using it because we need more, uh, we need our perspectives to be heard. And and I think that it's, it's our responsibility moving forward to k- keep on fighting the good fight for a just and equitable Australia. Uh, so it, it means everything to me to uh, right the wrongs and, and keep moving forward and to for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to have the same opportunities in life as all other Australians. It's, yeah, very important. And thank you so much for coming on the program today to, to bring your voice to Soapbox to talk about um, Indigenous rights, Indigenous self-determination and the work of Reconciliation Australia. If you've just joined us, I've been speaking to Tamika Townsend from Reconciliation Australia and we are coming to the end of the half hour, but before we finish... It went so quick. I know, it always does. I'm always like, well, I should do a three-hour show because every topic I want to talk about, half an hour is yeah. never enough. Yeah. Um, and- so, so before we go, do you, what's, what's something that you would, would like listeners to go away and learn more about or or what's something you'd like them to look into or find out more on I think yeah what we talked about earlier find out maybe who the traditional owner group is of of your country and and maybe go on Reconciliation Australia's website and have a look at our work and and also feel free to get in touch if you know of an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander organization that is kicking goals in their community because the IGA team would love to hear from you. Uh, you can nominate an organisation. Uh, so, yeah, just keep on learning and, yeah, stay deadly. Keep on learning, stay deadly. Love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Tamika. It's been a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Lee. And you can tune in again next week for another episode of Soapbox. You may have also been listening to Sovereign Sounds as well on 2XXFM and Sin Nation Nationwide. Keep listening. Soapbox is proudly supported by YWCA Canberra. Tune in next week for another episode of Soapbox. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. (laughs)